Good morning, class. All right. Wasn't so bad. Now, I tell you what, in a couple of weeks, whenever we get an extra hour of sleep, it won't be uh, as, as difficult. And so, anyway, appreciate y'all being committed to this, uh, this difference, this change. Uh, again, I kind of see it as we have eight more months, okay? It's just eight more months. And, uh, and then we, things will change back, all right, or change to a different what, format. But we're excited about what God's going to do in this format, in this time, in place in our life. Now, I'm sorry I couldn't be with you last week. And to start this series, I know many of y'all sent emails and texts and different things just affirming the commitment to the family, and I appreciate that. And just being able to be with, with, with Jordan in college and, and experience that, make sure she's making the grades was all a, a, a very important time uh, and a good time for us. But I spoke about last week how we kind of started the, 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 the series off with just the reality of there's some elements of our culture that just don't mesh all the time align with Scripture. One of the things is all the choices that we have. We like to be masters of our own universe, you know, masters of our own coffee with all the options that we have in, in coffee nowadays. Uh, Burger King says you can have it your own way. We just like the role of command and control. We like to have that level of command and control about all the areas of, of our life. But even this week, I heard in an advertisement on the radio, just, I mean, just so random, driving down the road. I think I got the number right, but there are 600, excuse me, 369 ways you can make a sonic drink, all right? 369 ways you can doctor, syrup up, whatever you want of a sonic drink. Now, how many of y'all in this room have a favorite sonic drink? Raise your hand. All right, most everybody uh, likes something. But we like that kind of, again, command and control, that ability to master our universe. Domino's Pizza has this amazing thing. I just like ordering Domino's Pizza just to watch the little man on the computer screen make the pizza and how you can, how you can again, put all your ingredients on there and exactly how what you, what you want. And, again, we like command and control. We like to master our own universe. We take our children to Build-A-Bear. And we go to build a bear. And what do we do? We master the universe of building a bear to your liking, what you want, how you want it, when you want it, and all that kind of stuff. The stuffing and everything is master your own universe. You take your kids, your daughters to American Doll. Now, you can take your boys if you want to. I'm just saying most of the time it's probably girls in there. You take your daughters to American Doll. What does it teach you to do? You can master, you can command and control your universe, and you can look like your Barbie doll, or your Barbie doll can look like you. And however it may be, it's an experience. But in that experience, what are we teaching ourselves? But we're teaching ourselves that we are the masters of our own universe. Whether it's coffee, whether it's a syrupy drink from Sonic, or it's a Barbie doll we play with. We think, we believe, we kind of tease ourselves into thinking and believing that we control it all. And it's really a kind of a nice, warm, fuzzy thought to think that you can be the master of the universe in teddy bear land or the master of the universe in American Doll, okay? Maybe you can be master of the universe there. But really, I mean, when you, when you drive down to it, are we the masters of the universe? I mean, what we eat, what we drink, what we entertain ourselves with, it, it's kind of, we don't have, although there's probably... 369 different flavors of spirituality out there. At the end of the day, are there 369 different ways to God? You know, do all roads lead to the same place? 
And, and I want to say, not necessarily. Now, I would, I would say that, that in this world of spirituality, there are probably more than 369 different spiritualities. I mean, there's probably 6 billion people on the planet. There could be up to 6 billion different spiritualities out there. So not because somebody is spiritual are they on the right course. And I'm not going to sit in here and, and, and try to belittle anybody. I want to say this. If you are a spiritually minded person, and obviously if you're here today at 8 a.m. in the morning, you're probably spiritually minded, that, that I would hope that there would be some level of determination about you and realization within you. Realization, number one, is that you're not the master of the universe. American Doll, Teddy Bear Land, yes, maybe you are. But in real life, no. You're not, and I'm not. And that's one of the first realizations that we've got to wake up to is that there is a God and I'm not Him. All right? And if we wake up to that reality, then we can get on the pursuit, which is the second thing I really challenge you to, is to find that God. Find God. Get to know God. Know God. Figure out who God is and then connect and align with Him as best you can. And again, there are a lot of, I won't say true options, but I'm going to say there's a lot of avenues out there of a lot of different people trying to find their way, make their way to God. Now, in this study this week and next week, we're going to kind of dive into some, this kind of, this is at least going to create conversations, I'll promise you that. I may, I may not set, may not set well with everyone, but I, again, I'm going to try to constantly point us back to what the Bible says, okay? And that's where I'm that's my presupposition that I'm coming from. I realize that every one of us has presuppositions when we come to this topic of spirituality and who God is and is there only one way and all that kind of stuff. Everyone has presuppositions. My presupposition is that the Bible, this book on this table and hopefully in your lap or on your computer is a great source of truth. If not the primary source of truth out there. So I'm going to base a... 99.9% of everything I'm going to say, hopefully I can point back on the major points back to the scriptures. But I want to say also, this is a good time for you to dive in to understand the different religions of the world. And we have a little pamphlet that's in the back, and it's, it's a it's a pretty extensive pamphlet that you can pick up. And we, we bought these and we're selling them at cost, five bucks a piece. You can just drop the money in the baskets and honor system. But there's 20 different faith religions around the world, the primary, largest faith uh, religions around the world that you can compare against Christianity in very succinct fashion. Sometimes that helps people. Again, you can stick it in your Bible and remember it and keep it and just kind of refresh yourself on it from time to time. But here's one of the things. If there is a God, and I believe there is, and that's another one of my presuppositions, if there is a God... And I've got to find out who that God is, and I've got to connect with that God, because I am not the master of the universe. Then I better find him, and I better make it a lifetime pursuit. And I better, when I find him, I better hold on with all my life. For the rest of my life, I must give my life to that relationship with God. G.K. Chesterton, a 19th and 20th century philosopher from England said it like this, the key to having an open mind is knowing when you have something solid to bite down on. I think that's an important observation in this world of of pluralism and relativism, in this world of be open and tolerant. Okay, be open and tolerant, but when you find something solid, bite down on it. 
hold on to it, believe it, adhere to it, make it your own. And I really believe that if you give a solid, committed look for truth, you will know truth. When you look for truth, because I believe, according to John chapter 16, verse 13, when, as Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I believe that truth is out there. There is truth. There is a God. I'm not him. Who is he? I need to know him. I think Hebrews does an amazing job about making it clear, bringing two of the major religions on the planet, if not three, to a very succinct look at, understanding of what, who is this Jesus guy and how does he fit into the great big scheme of things written post Jesus' life on ministry on the earth. So what, what Hebrews is, is what I want to call the fifth gospel. If you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John giving the narrative of the gospel and the life and the ministry of, of Christ, I would say Hebrews is likely the fifth gospel because there's not a more Christocentric book in all the New Testament than when you come to the book of Hebrews. Now, every one of them speak of Jesus. Everyone points you to Jesus, all of the, all the books. But, but Hebrews... Unlike anyone. And another thing about Hebrews, it's the crypt notes of the Bible. All right? It truly is. If you want to understand the Old Testament and you want to understand the New Testament and how the New Testament relates to the Old Testament and they're not two fragmented, separated, disjointed, disconnected pieces of literature of faith, but how they are actually beautifully synchronized in some symposium marriage there brought together, study the book of Hebrews. And so from now until Christmas, we're going to be studying through this, through, this, through this great book. And here's what I want to call the Hebrews Manifest, all right? I want us to read it out loud together because I think this is what we're going to see again and again, week after week, throughout the book of Hebrews. Read it with me. Jesus Christ is sufficient, supreme, and holds salvation for the entire world. I think we're going to see it, you saw it last week in one simple sentence of, of Scripture that I shared with you. One sentence, the very first sentence of Hebrews, you see that Jesus Christ is supreme, He is sufficient, He is what we need in our lives. And uh, He has the one who holds our salvation. And so when we understand the old and the new together, we understand it in a beautiful way by studying the book of Hebrews. In fact, it was Augustine said, one of the early church fathers said it like this. He says, the new, speaking of the New Testament, is within the old, is con- is, excuse me, the new within the old is concealed. The old within the new is revealed. Speaking of Hebrews, speaking of, of, of the New Testament and how they do go together. The New Testament story is hidden in the Old Testament, but it is uncovered and it is understood more fully in the New Testament as it also gives a clarity on the Old Testament. Again, what I'm telling you is we are coming to the shoelaces. We are coming to the threads that bring all of time and all of redemption story together through the book of Hebrews. And so, if we can understand the book of Hebrews, we can understand the Old Testament, we can understand the New Testament. So let this be an early Christmas gift to you that we'll begin to unwrap as of last week. We'll begin to unwrap understanding the sufficiency, the supremacy, and the salvation 
of Jesus Christ. So that when Christmas arrives, you will enter into that season like never before with a deeper understanding and appreciation and, and, and greater worship than you've ever had before. But here's what we're going to have to do. Understanding this Hebrew manifest, this that Jesus is supreme, he is sufficient, he holds our salvation. It, we are going to juxtapose, we are going to align them up next to some of the major religions of the world. All right, because when you get into the Hebrews, uh, when you get into the Hebrews, we need to compare how this Christianity compares to other religions out there. Now, what I'm not going to do, and I'm not going to dog on the other religions of the world, but I am going to compare and contrast. All right, I am going to show some differences. All right, just let's put the, put it out there. In fact, I'm going to point out some positives of four major religions around the world. We talk about this week Mormonism and and Islam. Next week we'll talk about uh, pantheism or Hinduism and many of the other Eastern religions, and we'll also talk about Judaism. But this week I want us to understand it in light of the New Testament, in light of the Book of Hebrews, and understanding and hopefully unpacking this a little bit as as we go, that Jesus Christ is not a contributor, but he is. He is the completion of God's redemptive story. In the the book of Hebrews, be finding chapter 3. We'll be there in a moment. Uh, In in the book of Hebrews, you find Jesus Christ uh, as mentioned as the Son of Man. You find him as the faithful, merciful high priest. You find him as a king. But we are going to zero the next two weeks in on unpacking Jesus' role as our high priest. All right, because that is the linchpin. That's the thing that connects the two. And understanding how Jesus is a high priest. No other religion connects Jesus as the high priest, all right, in in the way that we're talking about the high priest. Now, they might consider him a priestly function. They might consider him a, a good moral person. They might consider him a prophet. We'll even talk about that in a moment. But a high priest, there was only one of those serving at any one time. And they had one very specific task to do, to mediate between God and man who offers, offered atonement for our sins, a sacrificial atonement, uh, so mankind could connect with God. That's what a high priest did, all right? Now, we're going to speak specifically to Jesus being the high priest because 16 different times in 13 chapters is Jesus referred to as the high priest, all right? And we're going to be unpacking that over, over the next few weeks, but... In light of that, what does a high priest do? He's a mediator between God and man. Just zero in on that. He is the one who stands between perfect God and imperfect man. And I can tell you right now, every day I wake up and look at myself in the mirror and I'm reminded of how much I need somebody to stand in the gap. How much I realize that as I'm shouting out, as, I, as I'm blurting out, as I'm emoting, as I'm feeling, as I'm lusting, as I'm dealing with the different elements of my own sinful nature, I realize that I don't connect with a perfect God. And that if I don't have a mediator, somebody to stand in the gap, to bridge the gap, to make it happen, and Jesus Christ is the role. He is the high priest who stands in the gap. I need a high priest. You need a high priest. And Jesus Christ offers that. He is sufficient. He is supreme. He is the one who holds salvation. But let's break these two down today. We're going to look at Islam, first of all. Why can I not be a Muslim? Just when I studied all the religions of the world, why can I, how can I not be a Muslim? 
Because as a Muslim, they believe that Jesus Christ is a prophet, period. But I believe because of Scripture and because of Hebrews, and chapter 3 will be there, because as a high priest, Christ is more than a prophet. All right? As, 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 if you know Islam, Islam believes that Jesus was a prophet just like Muhammad, just like Moses, just like Elijah. They actually mentioned Jesus throughout the Quran. Uh, Muhammad was the one who, and again, I'm giving you a 90-second version of an entire study that you could do on Islam, all right? So I'm just going to hopefully get you started and get your brain thinking. But in, in, in Islam, realizing that, that Jesus is only a prophet like Muhammad, like all the other prophets, and he's not the high priest, he's not the savior of the world, he's not God. In fact, in their very foundational one number one pillar of the faith it's called the shahad it, it says this there is no god but allah and muhammad is his prophet they believe that muhammad he was 500 years post Jesus' life uh, they, they believe that muhammad was the last and the final prophet but jesus is also a prophet moses is also a prophet and elijah is also a prophet and all the other prophets and they believe again many of the prophets of the old testament that we follow let me give you some positive attributes about Islam, okay? One is, and this has been researched and studied by George Barna in his book, The Seven Tribes in America. He said this, he said, many Muslims practice a higher moral standard than most Americans. That's a very positive trait about them. They, they don't typically uh, use porn. They don't typically commit adultery. They don't get drunk. They don't gamble. They don't consult psychics. They don't do a whole lot of those things that other Americans might do. They have a higher moral standard, you might say. Number two, many Muslims have a high faith commitment. All right. Now, you don't realize 78% of them in the study describe their faith as a very important part of their life. Three out of five pray daily. Now, compare that to a few weeks ago when I talked about how there are more American Christians, Protestants going to church who floss their teeth then pray daily, all right? So they're praying more than we are praying as Christians. So they have a very high faith commitment and believe deeply in their faith. But if you were to take a Quran yourself, you could study from the Quran yourself. I preached an entire message on this a few years back. You could study from the Quran itself and it point to Jesus Christ being more than a prophet. You don't even have to open this book to get that truth. You can open the Quran. Now, let me give you a couple of statements from the Quran. Quran, chapter 3, 45 to 47, points out that Jesus was holy, but Muhammad was not. And you can just jot that down and read it. <laughs> Go get your own Quran and, and read it. And there's nothing wrong with owning a Quran. Read it. Understand the different faiths of the world. But Jesus was born of a virgin. The Bible makes that very clear. And Muhammad was naturally born in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. means you have the sinful nature passed down to you. Jesus could do the impossible. Muhammad could not. Quran 3, 49. Because Jesus was able to do miracles. It even speaks of Jesus doing miracles. But Muhammad did not. Jesus knew of the way to heaven. Muhammad did not. Did you realize that Muhammad himself didn't know if he was going to heaven? Going to paradise. That's a sad reality to be the leader, the prophet of a religion of the world and not know what your eternal destiny is. Jesus said, I am the way. He knew who he was. He had to be more than a prophet. He had to be more than that. He had to be divine. He was so much more. Chapter 3, verse 1, look there with me. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, 
You who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, listen to this, the apostle. Now that would be a New Testament version of a prophet, okay? They virtually shared the same role. Jesus was a, an apostle or a prophet, but notice this, and a high priest. I said from the beginning, this is going to be the linchpin. This is going to be the thing that makes it a difference between one religion and the next religion. Is Jesus being a high priest is humongous. So now what he's going to do in the remaining verses is he's going to talk about how Jesus or how Moses, comparing, because obviously Muhammad wasn't on the scene at the time. Maybe he would have done Muhammad. But at that time, Moses was the patriarch of the faith. And he goes into comparing Jesus to the uh, to the other prophets. Now you tell me as you read this, who is he making clear that Jesus is? Who was faithful to, um, uh, to him who, uh, who appointed him? This is verse 2. Just as Moses also was faithful to God's house. Okay, so they were both faithful people. For Jesus has been counted worthy more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of the house is more honor than the house itself. As you look, let's keep reading. For every house is built on, uh, by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were uh, to be spoken of. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and he and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast to our confidence uh, and our boasting in our hope. What does he say? Moses is great. Moses was faithful. Moses was a good prophet. But when you put Moses next to Jesus, Jesus is God. Jesus is above. Jesus gets the, gets the glory. He's the builder of the house. He's the one who's over the house. He's the one that we need to look to. He's the one that we, are, that, that we bow our lives to. So when you think about it, and you look, at, you, look at the, you look at Hebrews and you just study chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see very clearly that Jesus is greater than all angelic beings. And we'll talk about that next week. But in chapter 3, Jesus is greater than all the prophets. There's no prophet that is greater than Jesus. Jesus is the greatest. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator. Okay, we talked about a mediator, the high priest being a mediator. Listen to this. Between God and man, who is it? Read it with me. The man Christ Jesus. You want to know who the mediator is? You want to know who the high priest is? It is the man Christ Jesus. So what do we learn about Jesus from, the, from this that makes him greater than just being another prophet? One is Christ was appointed by God as high priest. Now, you're in Hebrews chapter 5. Go over to verse 5. So God himself, God Almighty, God of the universe, appointed Jesus as the high priest. Verse 5. So Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son today, I have begotten you. God said, I want you to be my high priest. No other book, Neil Lightfoot said, no other book, Hebrews is in the New Testament, sees so clearly the inseparable connection of sonship, kingship, messiahship, and priesthood. We get the full picture of Jesus from this text, all right? But number two, when you look at this, Christ expresses grace as being a sympathetic high priest. Chapter 4, verse 15. 
Chapter 4, verse 15. Notice this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a great high priest who is sympathetic, understanding, caring, loving, in a relationship with us. And if you understand the Islamic understanding of who God is, they live in fear of Him. We have a high priest who embraces us, who sympathizes with us, who's walked a mile, 33 years worth, in our shoes, tempted in every way, but not with any sin on his record. From 1991 to 2007, Fuller Theological Seminary conducted a survey of 750 Muslims who converted to Christianity. Those who surveyed represented 50 different ethnic groups in 30 different countries. It was a very broad study. And one of the top 10 reasons they converted to Christianity is because of a personal relationship, an empathetic, a sympathetic relationship with God Almighty. Listen, we have a high priest in Jesus Christ who sympathizes with us. I want a relationship with God who is tender and compassionate and full of grace. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God didn't whip you to repentance. He didn't fear you into repentance. He didn't scare you into repentance. It's His kindness that should draw you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Are you one who's living in fear? Or are you one who's living in the kindness and the grace of God? Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. 20% of the world is, is, is Islamic. Yet only 2% of the mission force is given to the Islamic nations. That's a sad, sad tell. We need to realize that and we need to pray against that. That God would do a great work to send out missionaries to show a kind, loving, compassionate, high priest God in Jesus Christ to the nations. All right. Why can I not be a Mormon? If you're looking at Jesus as a high priest, why can I not be a Mormon? Mormons believe that Jesus was the first divine child of God, born of a sexual union between Elohim God, as they refer to him, and Mary. That Christ evolved. Now, this is the key point. That Christ evolved into deity. He was not born as divine, but he evolved into deity. Now, you've got to understand that, that when, you, when you engage a Mormon, they have just enough of the terminology and just enough of the phraseology. And they use even the King James Version of the Bible. And, and it gives a semblance of Christianity. But they are polar opposite. They have other books of their faith. The Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants, of which they have 136 different revelations and doctrines that come from that. Celestial marriages come from that. Baptism of the dead comes from that. The Pearl of Great Price is also another of their doctrinal books. So they don't look to one single book for truth. But let me give you some positive traits. Number one is that they have a strong place, they have strong values placed on the family. All right? Very positive element of their faith. They value the family. Now, that's been a little distorted over the years. It actually builds into their eschatology and their soteriology, their understanding of salvation, their understanding of end times, and it fits into that. 
but they've not had the exact history as we see of the value of the family, even Brigham Young, the second uh, leader behind Joseph Smith who died in 1877, had 70 wives uh, when he passed away and 57 children. So there was definitely a different view of the family, but again, it fits into their their understanding of salvation, it fits into their understanding of the end times and how it's all going to fit together. But um, a manifest came later on that they tried to reverse that in 1890 and they've still working on that. But number two, here's a second positive trait. Mormons have a high view of the Bible, yet a higher view of the Book of Mormon. Okay, I understand that. They may enter the house with a Bible, but they'll ultimately bring out the Book of Mormon in the conversation. Seventy percent of the Muslims, uh, excuse me, Mormons, uh, believe that the Book of Mormon is greater than the Bible in its authority. So whenever we're saying, okay, I'm building my faith on this book, they, 70% of them are building it on the Book of Mormon as a greater book. So I want us to understand this, dispel any clouds out there. The teachings, the Mormon church is not just another denomination, Presbyterian, Methodist, Mormons, right on in the mix. There is a difference. I'm trying to be respectful for both, but I'm trying to say this, there is a difference. In every category of mankind, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of eternal life, doctrine of salvation, God's word, atonement, Jesus, are diametrically opposed to biblical Christianity. It's not the same. And they may even use the same terms, but their definitions of those terms are drastically different. Now, I want us to point to two things that we learn from, from Hebrews as Christ is our high priest that differs from the Mormon church. One, Christ as high priest is perfect forever. All right? Understand that. Mormons believe Christ became perfect, evolved into, as an example to all of us, that one day we can become little Christ of our own little kingdoms, of our own little planets. Christ doesn't morph into deity, okay? You don't, you don't evolve to, to God, okay? You, you're God or you're not God. All right, and Jesus, he is God. Chapter 7, if you go over there, chapter 7, verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those who... Uh, uh, of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. See, Jesus Christ was always God. He's always been God and he always will be God. See, the Bible teaches that Jesus is God and became man. He was still God. But Jesus is God and he became man. Uh, That is different from where the Mormons believe he was man and he became God. All right, understand that. There is a vast difference. Number two, Christ as high priest reigns supreme. All right? There's not, you're going to get to be your own little Christ, and I'm going to get to be my own little Christ, and that's why I have a bunch of wives, and that's why I have a bunch of children, so I can go populate my planet. No, it's not that at all. It's, it, it is that, that there is one God. And it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they are one. They're not three different gods. Okay? And we've got to understand that in chapter 8, verse 1, we find where Jesus is right now. He's not sharing this with anybody else. Now, 
verse chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Where is God? He is on the throne in heaven, and it's not a big couch either. For everybody else, that becomes God. There is one God, and he is sitting on his throne, and he is reigning. It's interesting. You see Christ in two positions after his ascension. You see him standing. You see him sitting. Most of the time, you see him sitting. You study the New Testament, you see him setting. That's always, one time you see him standing. It's when he's interceding for Stephen who's about to be stoned. He's interceding. He's a compassionate, sympathetic high priest. The other times, he is in his glory reigning over the universe. And he's not sharing that with anybody else. He is God. He is supreme. I've gone through this at rocket speed. But I want you to hang on to this. Because there's a lot of people that are spiritual in this world and they're seeking truth. And I want them to know truth. And they may choose not to be a Christian as I follow Christ. But I pray that they will seek truth and the Spirit will lead them into the truth. We actually have families, people in our church that have left recently the Mormon church over the past few years. I want you to hear from a few of them now. I I grew up in the Mormon church. I grew up born and raised Mormon um, in Utah. I have uh, a lot of family ties back to Utah when they first came into the valley, so there's quite a history there. My parents and all my family are still Mormon. My dad actually has worked for the Mormon Church for the past 25 years. Um, my husband and I, Nick, got married 11 years ago in the Mormon Temple. Um, so I grew up very Mormon. Growing up in the Mormon Church, I did a lot of the normal activities that um, a young man would do. I went to uh, early morning seminary all through high school. And what that is, is every morning at 6.30, I'd wake up, I'd go to church, and I would, would study the, the scripture. I would study the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, all these, these various books within Mormonism, um, and all kinds of youth programs um, I was involved in, especially in preparation for uh, serving a, a mission. So I was, I was getting ready to wear the suit and tie and to go out and actually teach, and that's what they're preparing you for. Probably about two years after we had gone through the Mormon temple, we started talking to each other. Um, it took a long time before we were ready to talk about it or to, we just hadn't been going to any church at all for probably two years. Um, and one day I talked to him and told him that I thought I wanted to try out other churches and other Christian churches and explore Christianity. And he had felt the same way all along. About a year after moving to Michigan, we moved to Northwest Arkansas, and we started um, trying to find a church um, since we were having kids and we wanted that for our kids. Um, We probably went to at least 10 different churches in Northwest Arkansas, and we came to Grace Point probably, I bet, five years ago for the first time. Um, But we had a lot of guilt and a lot of fear. We 
just were baptized at the end of last year at Grace Point. But it took us a long time to get to that point. By the time I was about 17 years old, I had decided I was going to eventually leave. And I had finished up all the programs and finished up my seminary program, going to church early, doing a lot of those things. And it was a very messy process for leaving. A lot of things you can lose. You're losing your church family as well as um, it's very hard on the people around you that are in that situation. They want to see you grow up more and they want to be with you in heaven. It took some, some very difficult events in my life to bring me to a point where I started asking God again, if there is faith out there for me, show it to me. And there came a point in my life where I was at a crossroads and I had to make a decision Am I going to have faith or not? Am I going to have faith that Christ is the Savior or not? It just came down to something that simple. I chose to have faith that day. Grace versus works. The Mormons are very works-oriented. It's everything you do is what gets you saved or what you don't do. A lot of the focus is left off of Jesus Christ and Him coming to earth and dying for us and saving us. And we kind of... We felt like that should have been more of the focus. The biggest difference between Mormonism and Christianity, I would say, is the fact that there is an institution and there are men in between you and your salvation. Whereas at Grace Point, my, my salvation is between me and Jesus Christ, me and my acceptance of Christ as my Savior. Keep seeking God out. Um, and don't feel like you have to have it all figured out before attending another church or because um, I think that's what one of the biggest mistakes my husband and I made was we felt like we had to figure out what exactly we believed and before we could find another church. Look at the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The emphasis on the letter of the law and practices and rituals that would get you into heaven versus now the spirit of the law and something that's, uh, you know, Christ brought about. Uh, he fulfilled, fulfilled all of that so that, you know, we can have everlasting life with him. You know, I hope what you hear in this rocket fire message is a spirit of, of love and appreciation for the various religions of the world. But the truth has to hit the rubber has to hit the road at some point. And there is a difference. And I hope you see the difference being that Jesus Christ, it's not berating some other religion. I hope what you see is that Jesus Christ is so supreme. He is so sufficient. He holds our salvation. I don't need any other option. I need Jesus. He is sufficient. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20 says that Jesus is is forever the high priest. Forever. Even if, in both Islam and Mormonism came after Christianity, even if Joseph Smith saw some golden tablets in New York State, even if Muhammad was a prophet, Jesus is still the high priest. He is forever our high priest. Do you know him as your mediator between you and God? I want to pray for you. Randy will be here at the front. Eric will be down here at the front. We'll be hanging out. If you want somebody to pray with, come pray with us.
You want to search this out further? Let's talk. I want to pray for you. Father God, you know the hearts of everyone in this room. And I pray now, Lord, that you are not just a contributor to their spirituality, but you are the center, the center of their life, the center of their spirituality. You are sufficient. You are supreme. You are the holder of salvation. No religion or institution, as Spencer said, there's not a man, a religion, an institution, but it is Jesus Christ who stands as the mediator between us and God Almighty. So we come, Lord, and we put our lives down for you. We give it all to you now. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, that is much like a Carly or a Spencer or maybe other people who are still seeking and searching, Lord, but today this message has resonated in their heart. Jesus' name.